Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him, and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics. Right now, I feel like I've had two weeks without a day off, and I'll tell you why. It goes work, duck shooting, sleeping, work, duck shooting, sleeping. Way less sleeping than I should be doing, but having an absolute ball. Loving every minute of it. How was opening for you? How was the second weekend for you? This is my first week back in the studio for who knows how long. And it feels a little bit odd. I've been doing a lot of stuff out in the field. Been doing a lot of shooting. A lot of hunting. And... Yes, it's paid dividends, but I've had an awesome time as well. Great people, great friends. And in the upcoming issue of NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine, you'll see exactly my thoughts on why we get up early, why we go through this, why we don't sleep, and and, and all that stuff. It's well worth reading back page there of NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine. I've had a little bit of a rant like I do every couple of months with them. This week's interview is with someone who is what I'd describe as a bit of a legend in the firearms world, or certainly a bit of a legend right here in New Zealand. And I'm joined by Dan Hardy from Hardy's Rifle Engineering. How are you, Dan? Yeah, good, Stephen. Good. What about you? Oh, kicking along, eh? Very tired. Way too much um, duck shooting in my life at the moment to, to keep my eyes open. <laughs> You've got to cut that out, mate. I know, I know. <laughs> hey, so Dan... I'd like to know, first of all, a lot of people, a lot of Kiwis and a lot of people from overseas have sent their firearms to you to have modifications. I've, I'm certainly one of them. Tell me a little bit about your background. Why, why, do, I, why do we send stuff to you? Well, I mean, firearms you know, have been a major, major part of my life since a, um, a very young age. Um, I, I started formally training on, um, you know, firearms and ballistics and so on and so on for, you know, since I was about 16 years old. So I, I've, I've been there right, right amongst it for a long time. And, you know, my, my passion for firearms, my passion for the industry, my passion for engineering, you know, it's, it's always been extremely high and, and still is. So I think a lot of, a lot of what it comes down to when I, when I dealing, when I'm dealing with people and I'm speaking with people, you know, they pick up on that. You know, they they, they sort of recognise the fact that if 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 you, the end user, um, is comfortable with the guy that he's speaking to on the other phone or, or talking to face to face, then you know that's where a lot of that, that that business comes from. So that that's why a lot of people like dealing with um dealing with us and dealing with me. It's that you know we share the passion that they have for their sport. Mm. So how did you go from being 16 years old, getting into what well, at that point was it gunsmithing? If I got that word right, through to where you are now, how did this all come about? 
Well, New Zealand, it is, it is quite tricky. So for, for me, um, I enlisted in the um, New Zealand Defence Force as an armourer mm. uh, and, or, or weapons engineer. So, you know, you do your... I think I, yeah, I must have joined when I was 16, and then um, you're basically just in my, late in, in, in the year of me being 16, that's when I started my training. And um, you learn all about um, small arms. So you, you start off on, like, going down to the intricate detail. When you press the trigger, what is the complete cycle of events? So we're talking the trigger rotates around this pin, this slips out the way, the spring does that. You know, so you learn every tiny little aspect about how this works, how a bolt gun works, how a lever gun works, how a semi-automatic works. And, and, and that's, that's how it all comes along. And you do all that before you're even allowed to put your hands onto a uh, Onto a rifle and actually start gutting the thing out and, and doing the cool stuff. So that's that's sort of the, that's how I did it, um, and that's how um, a lot of the staff I, I've got now and I've had through over the years um, have done it. Um, and, and that's basically it. in New Zealand. That that's the sort of your um, one of your only real paths mm. to do it professionally. You know, to to, to be considered trade certified. Because uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. But my understanding is that kind of anyone can, in brackets, call themselves a gunsmith. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Uh, that's, that's in New Zealand, absolutely. Um, it is a real tricky one, and it's not something that I'm um, particularly keen on. But yes, there are a lot of self-proclaimed gunsmiths. You know, they give themselves a lot of experience, and they go, "Yeah, hey, you know what? I can, I can have this," and they sort of they they call themselves that. We, as in um, myself and my staff, my company, we do not refer to ourselves as gunsmiths because we are not trades qualified gunsmiths. Mm. Um, I mean, that being said, one of my staff is actually he's got that paper, but that's but that's by the by. But I mean. You know, we, we, we call ourselves more uh, a weapons engineer, which is more in line with the military training. And it also gives us another degree of separation. When a lot of people think gunsmith, they think, you know, an old, an old joker in the back of his shed sort of tinkering away, <laughs> fixing, a, fixing a hammer on his shotgun and, 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 and bending up a new spring. And, and we do not want to be associated with that at all. Um, we are we we're about manufacture. We are trying to birth the serious firearms industry in New Zealand. Fantastic. We're talking about we make barrels, we make actions, we make suppressors. We can build you a whole gun. New Zealand made this. New Zealand made that. And that's how we want to do it. That's how we roll. You know, that's great language. Actually, birth the New Zealand gun industry. I I, I do feel like we kind of stand on the shoulders of everybody else. And you're right. The whole word gunsmith for me sometimes conjures up. Uh, some old bugger <laughs> in a back shed who probably knows lots, but um, oh yeah, but yeah, we're good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, where good. I yeah, stand I mean, though, Dan, own. and this yeah. might be, and I want you to, I want your opinion on this. Is yes, that yeah. old guy in the back shed? He might be a great guy. He may know his stuff, but where's his accountability when something goes wrong? That's something I've always been concerned about myself. Yes, New Zealand. Well, just to go back a step, when, we, when I speak about birthing the firearms industry <laughs> in New Zealand, it is. The firearms industry in New Zealand is is extremely juvenile. It's it's very very tricky. For example, if you you compare us, a very young country, to the likes of England, you know, in regard to the firearms industry, an extremely old country, they've got barrel makers on every street corner, just about, um, you know, and they've got you know they've been producing serious and and very very elegant firearms for for years and years and years. Now, for them, way back when, after the government sort of recognised, yes, manufacturing firearms is part of our 
of what we do, they set things up what are known as proof houses. So you have a couple of proof houses um, run by the government within the UK. And if you, Joe Gunsmith, decides, hey, look, I'm going to modify um, this end user's chat, this chat's gun, I'm going to cut a thread and do a trigger job. From there, it needs to be sent to Her Majesty, one of Her Majesty's proof houses. Um, the gunsmith pays a nominal fee, and then it gets the, the barrel gets a stamp on it to say, yes, this gun is still up to what we deem as a safe standard. So you inadvertently, you have someone doing the out inspection for you without you actually having to employ a quality control person. You have someone in situ doing that. But like I said previously, because the industry is so young here, um, you, can advertise, you can advertise your services on Trade Me, make whatever you damn well like, sell it on, and, and there is no one there to check your work, you know. So, and it is a bit of a concern, and I often, you know, sort of um, compare it to, you, you saw a dodgy old dive tank on Trade Me that was um, there for sale. <laughs> Would you would you buy it and just strap it on your back and hook in? And it's like absolutely not. Well, I mean, I wouldn't. Um, and effectively, it's the same thing. We are talking high pressure. We are talking pressure vessels, and 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 we are talking unqualified and and just any old joker just sort of hooking and having a crack at it. <laughs> it's kind of is the Kiwi way though, uh, a bit. Mm. So um, so it's, something it's a tricky one. Something I want to add to that, Dan, is I've. You and I have had a few conversations on the phone and bits and pieces, but I, I collect uh, a few what I'd consider to be quite quite unusual firearms. And mm-hmm. for me, what that gives me an understanding of is how much I really don't know about how they work. So I tend to go to guys like yourself and have done for that very reason. What worries me, though, is this weekend just gone, right? Second weekend of duck shooting, because it's Monday yep. now. And, they've, and we've had... People, in my mind, mucking around with guns that aren't working, and then accidents happen. Um, now, I know you don't deal with shotguns, but the same thing must happen with centerfires and rimfires. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, we see, you know, believe me when I say that, we see the weird, the wonderful, <laughs> the outright dangerous, and the outrageous. You know, we we see it all. Hey, and, and that's fantastic. Um you know, me, me personally, I spend the majority of my time locked up in, in an office dealing with, um, you know, various people as opposed to on the on the floor with my hands on the tools. So when when we do get the real crazy stuff, there's nothing um, there's nothing I like more than sort of having a good 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 dig over it. But no, you, you're damn right. You can you can you can certainly pick something that you can you can you can tell. Okay, something's gone wrong here, and this chap's or, or has had, he's had a good crack at it himself um, for, for for better, but for mostly for worse. Um, yeah, so you know you're right. People, yeah, they sort of tinker and they have a go. They have a go. Yeah. Now, now, Dan, like me, you will see, and I know you will, thousands upon thousands of firearms that are just not well maintained, and that's what I want to talk to you about next. Is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you don't want people bringing in their firearm every week for you to clean. You, you really want people to take some responsibility and get to know their their firearms themselves. How yeah. do I? So I've. I'm gonna. If I walked over to my gun cabinet, which is ten meters away from me now, and I was to get out a my seven mil eight Remington modified trigger suppressed, um, whatever, and and chuck that up on the bench and give it a good clean. After maybe I've been out for ten days, I've been in the hills ten days. What am I doing right then? Okay, well. New Zealand is a fantastic country for really treating gear 
and, 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 it's, and it's sort of you know pushing it to its limits. So when it, when it comes to a, a good sized trip, like a 10 day trip, you, the, your piece of kit, it, it's going to get a, a fairly good hiding. So the first thing that I like to do um, is definitely remove the stock because those synthetic stocks that most people have got now, they, they will hold every little manuka leaf that you you know that you've sort of come into contact with everything you get a lot of stuff under there a lot of crap and corruption under there and what that does is over time it dries out and it gets wet again dries and wet and dry away and and it does sort of cultivate rust even on a stainless steel barrel mm. in areas where you can't see so it is important to sort of blow anything out of there and and, and put a, a good layer of oil on the underside of your barrel and the underside of your action to make sure that that's going to stay. Can I stop you there just for a second? By taking mm. off the stock, am I not altering where my firearm is or where my gun's firing? Well, yeah, interesting question. I was kind of hoping you'd avoid that one. <laughs> no, so what it is, you've got, you do have an issue there with the bedding of your rifle. If you've bought a quality piece of equipment, you should be able to remove the stock clean it, put the stock back on, and it will do absolutely nothing to your zero. Absolutely nothing at all. So, so, so I've, is, when I've done that, I've always used a torque drive to make sure that I get it mm. back onto the right place. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing I have been considered, considering with that particular firearm is glass bedding it. Um, yes. What's your opinion on that? Bedding is... Bedding is, is is a major. It, it, you, you've got to put things into context. If you are happy with you, you know, with your gun shooting an inch, two inches at two hundred yards, hey, don't get crazy on it. Don't start throwing truckloads of money at accuracy. If you are a serious sort of firearms guy and you like your gun shooting half inch, blah blah blah, then bedding is a major. Basically, what I say when I'm doing <clears throat> my lectures and things about internal ballistics and, and, and rifle accuracy, ninety five percent of your accuracy is going to come from the three Bs, barrel, bedding, and bullets. And by bullets, I mean ammunition. Yeah. But BBA is nowhere near as catchy as the three Bs. <laughs> so so bar- looking after your barrel is very important. Bedding is very important and your ammunition. If, if you got those things right, you're okay. So if, yes, like you say, if you want really, really high end of accuracy, all that, then bedding is definitely something worth considering, yeah. So now you, you, so you've cleaned up underneath the stock and you've, where, where's next? Yeah, so, well, really, you need to have a look at, you know, your bolt raceway and, and around your trigger and all that sort of stuff. You know, if it's, if it's swimming in mud, which, which they often are, even when they come to us, um, you know, you want to you you sort of clean it so it, it looks vaguely like it was before you went on the trip anyway. So give it a bit of a clean, bit of oil on the bolt. That's going to, you know, keep that rust away. The big thing is your barrel. Now, this is where most people either A, get it wrong, do too little, do too much, or do nothing at all. So this is the most important part. I mean, and there's a million different techniques. All of them are the best, and every single one of them is right and wrong. So it's, it can be a bit of a contentious sort of topic. Um, what I do, me personally, um, I will only ever use two chemicals, um, and most of the cleaning will be done by the chemicals themselves. I use Bortec. Now, you've got copper remover and carbon remover, and all I'll do, um, because most of the time you're not putting thousands and thousands of rounds downrange, is I'll put um, some a, a, a loose-fitting drenched patch down the barrel with carbon remover on it, let it sit for 15 minutes. If it's really stubborn, if you have done a lot of rounds downrange, then give it a bit of a scrub with a nylon or a brass brush with um, your carbon remover. 
and just keep going like that, patching it out until you can see that there is none of that visible black carbon sitting inside your barrel. That's the most important part when it comes to cleaning your barrel is getting that carbon out. Now, the part that gets really, really tricky is removing the copper um, because it comes down to do you remove the copper or do you not? So there's a lot of schools of thought and, it, and there's a, a million different ways of approaching it and, and there's a lot of different arguments and counter-arguments. It's, it is a real tricky one. Typically, again, I'm talking about my actual experience here. My experience is that if you've got 25 rounds, roughly, worth of copper fouling in your barrel, that barrel is probably going to perform at its best at that stage. Really? Yes. Okay. But there's always exceptions to every rule. (laughs) (laughs) Firearms are a cruel mistress. I can tell you that for free. You can build 10 guns, 10 same barrels, 10 same actions, bed them all, blah, 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 and every single one of them will shoot completely different. (laughs) You know? So there is no hard and fast with this. With this, with this equipment, it is, it is a bit tricky. Um, obviously, if you've got an extremely old, tired, ugly-looking barrel, you put 25 rounds down it, and the whole thing is going to be completely drenched in copper, and it's going through all the pits of the barrel and blah, blah, blah. So that may not work. But a good quality match-grade barrel, you can put 25 rounds through it. It should hum, and you should not need to remove the carbon for as many as 150 rounds. Okay. Yeah, and in some cases, more. Um, for example, I shoot a, um, a 300 Magnum of, of type, and I was doing a demonstration for um, a, a certain government um, element, and we were we were doing um, we were talking about cold shot, cold shot, and, and cleaning and all that sort of stuff. Now on day one, we all did cold shot at about um, 200 or 300 yards, and everything was was happy there and we're looking at the, 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 the difference in the, in the fouling and that. <clears throat> the next day I, I was saying with a, with a good quality barrel um, um, and, and with a few rounds through it, it should, it should still perform just as well, blah, blah. So I, I didn't clean my rifle from the, the previous day. Mm. And there was a um, what's, what's called a figure, a figure 12, which is a hidden torso type steel gong, and that was set out at 1,100 yards. And with a cold barrel and a, and a dirty barrel, I put one shot straight into the centre of a plate at, at 1,100 yards. Okay. So, and that was with that, I, I think I must have had at least 50, 50 plus rounds through that barrel at that stage. Um, so there's, yeah, I mean, so scrubbing all that copper out, it's, um, it's, it's something that's sort of been installed in us from years and years and years back, mm-hmm. but not, you know, it is case by case, but not necessarily the, the way that it must be done. Because I have to say, in this case, I'm a bit of a, you've, you've really corrected something that I've thought. The first thing I do is I come back from the hills and my gun gets a bath, full on, everything gets cleaned. So it's going back into the cabinet in what I consider to be mint condition. You know, everything's shiny, there's nothing yeah. left in it. So you've changed a little bit about what I'm thinking now. Yeah, I mean, and hey, by all means, you need to do some experimenting of, of your own. But I mean, let's let's look at um, another example. Oh, I tell you what, the rifle that um, I, I I shot um, the Vortex Mountain Challenged in, in Wanaka um, earlier in the year did extremely badly, but that's not the point of the story. <laughs> that that rifle that I shot there that would that would have probably that would have had at least eighty to one hundred rounds through it, and I, I haven't cleaned it yet. Yeah, Jeez. I haven't touched it. Okay. Uh, mm. All right. So, so that's on the, the total cleaning. What about storage? 
Storage, yeah. Well, you've sort of got two different um, schools, you know, uh, two, two different uh, methods that you need to apply. Obviously, if you've got a blued barrel, mm. a, a nice hearty layer of oil inside the barrel for storage, that's, that's a must. That's a must, especially if you're living anywhere near the coast, you know, um, because those, those barrels, barrels do or, rust out. Or in Rotorua. Because I don't know if you've seen what sulfur does to barrels or sulfur air does to barrels. Holy moly. Really? You know, I haven't. No, nah, okay. start take noticing when you get a firearm from Rotorua. That's, I will. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Mm. Mm, you learn something new every day, they say. <laughs> um, stainless, yeah, and, and stainless barrels, you don't need to be quite so fussy with a big layer of oil on the inside. You know, again, Rotorua or Coast, potentially you, you would, but you don't need to be quite as fussy. Right. But it, it, you've got to look at it realistically. If you're an extremely active user and you're hunting religiously once a weekend, mm. Leaving a huge layer of oil in your barrel, in your stainless barrel, is not hugely relevant because you're going to be out there using it again soon, and you, you know, it's going to refresh itself every time you press the trigger. So, you've got to, everything goes into context. You know, it's tricky. Mm. <laughs> mm. So, so what about what about the total storage? I mean, I'm I'm very careful about making sure they're in a dry environment. Um, the, yes. you know, all that kind of stuff. I've seen in my line of work, I've seen a lot of firearms come out of long-term storage kind of wrecked. There's, yeah. yeah. I don't know yeah. if you see. And then you see that, that family heirloom that's been stored badly and there's nothing much you can do with it at that point, um, except send no, it to you no, probably. No, <laughs> So yeah, what about we, that? Yeah, we, we do see the old um, behind, the, behind the bench seat of the ute storage job, eh? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they don't come out so flash. But, no, um, yeah, it is, it is a tricky one. Like you say, for, for guys who um, store their, their firearms in their own homes in, like, a, a steel ECAT or ACAT gun safe, things like that, you know, those little pots of damperid mm. um, and things like that, or, or a little, um, who, what's the chap? Um, it's cool. I think there's a, a piece of equipment from memory. It's called Golden Rod or something like that. It's distributed by Greystone Guns in um, Canterbury there. And that's uh, um, a little piece of equipment specific for, um, you know, going inside your cabinet to keep to maintain constant temperatures and, um, and all that sort of stuff. So that, I think that there is pr- definitely product available um, for, for that sort of stuff. Yeah. Is that, is that, am I sort of answering the question? That, yeah, was, I think you are. I think that, yeah. you know, I think we just need to be thinking about this stuff. Um, I, I like the, the fact that you're saying that there's no right or wrong answer, but if we stop and think, you know, is my gun cabinet on the, on the damp side of the house and that's the only mm. place I can put it, then maybe I need to have a, you know, one of those damp rids in there to make sure that, um, when I'm away for six months or whatever, or whatever, I'm not bringing that gun out all the time. Things aren't going haywire without me noticing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just have a good. I mean, we're we're all meant to be responsible firearms owners and users here. Surely we can um, have a think about what we're doing with them when we bung them in the cabinet. Be proud of your firearms. That's something that I'd like to see a bit more of. You know, the fact that you're like you're saying, you're seeing a lot of guns that I know people that have bought in firearms that are that are six and eight months old that have been used every second second weekend and, may, and even further, two years, three years old, and they've never ever been cleaned. Yeah. Yeah, we, we see that, yeah. I mean, like I say, we see it all. I mean, we, we, we see the other side of the coin too, which is, well, I mean, we see a lot of different sides of the coins, but one, one you know, really good case or really good thing that we, we like to see is we get a piece of kit in for a new barrel or for a, a whatever, and, and, you know, you're talking this gun is, might only be literally 12 months old, and it's, it's missing all this blue, and it's got scratches all up the stock, it's got this, it's got that. 
and the barrel's worn out. It's, it's still in good nick and, and operating flawlessly and extremely clean. But the guy that's been using it, it's, it's a tool. And these people are, are out there and they're physically using this kit as it should be. And they're actually just wearing them out. So we do see guns that have been used hard but still well maintained we see guns that have been used not at all as in they've pulled them out to show their mates at parties and that's about it that are in terrible condition so yeah yeah we see it all so the next thing i want to talk to you about is that a little bit of that custom stuff now i've got a job that i was going to call you about and i'm going to put you on the spot so Mm -hmm. i've got an anschultz 22 that the magazine receiver and it's something's not right and i'm not a, a a gunsmith or even pretend to be is yep. that the sort of thing I could say, Dan, I want to send this to you. First of all, I want your opinion. And secondly, I'd like to pay you a little bit of money to, to get that sorted if you can. Is that something I should be sending to you? What do I do with a firearm like that? It's just something's not right. Yeah, that's a tricky one because when you look at our company versus the likes of a gunsmith, just going back to what we sort of spoke about earlier, um, you know, we've got literally millions of dollars worth of outlay and machinery. So our overheads are you know, considerably higher. So when it comes to things like, oh, I've got a little feeding issue with my 22, you've got to look at the value of the rifle or what it means to you mm. as, in regards to value. So if you said, um, okay, here's my, here's my 22, I need this feeding issue fixed, there could be three or $400 worth of labour of, of someone sitting there trying to nut out and take small stoning a little bit here and adjusting this. You know, so so that's where the gunsmithing stuff does get a little bit tricky. Um, typically, that's not the kind of work that we would take on. Yep. Um, but who would I tell you to go and see? <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a particularly special firearm, so I will talk to you a bit about that another time. Look. Yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and we see it too. Like, you know, we'll get, you know, some joker with his um his, his old Parker Hale or something like that, and he's saying, hey, look, I'm here for a new barrel, and I'm like, mate, you know, this, this gun's worth not a great deal of money, and a new barrel, say $1,000, and he says, well, to me, that is not even remotely relevant. I've shot 700 deer with this thing back in the bad old days, and I've done this and I've done that, so the rifle itself, I want to use it. Now, so you now go probably the, the next step is probably what you do get your teeth into, and that is, for example, I'm looking now at building up a long-range firearm. And, mm-hmm. and I'm getting very close. I've done a lot of research, and I'm sure most guys that are doing this stuff come to you thinking they know everything. Um, and, and I'm yep. going, sorry if I sound like one of them. Uh, so I've done my research. I kind of know what I want. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking at probably 300 Win Mag, maybe yep. custom barrel, not sure on the action, looking at a Remington action, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so, so okay. So I've, I've come to you with those things. What would you? What's the process first of all? And let's talk about in this case what you would recommend for me. Well, usually how it goes is, is um, like I say, a customer comes to me and says, "I want this, 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 and this." And I say, "Hey, that's all fantastic, but let's just rewind a step." And basically, we 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 will um, we will. Um, interview the customer in, in, in a way, you know, unless it's something that we believe is going to fit whatever. But we'll say, okay, well, what is your target? Okay, my target is red deer. What, are you, what distance do you need to be able to shoot this red deer at? Okay, um, 700 yards. Okay, what kind of weather conditions are in that part of the country? Like, what's the, the typical wind, the typical this, the typical that? And, um, you know, and that's how we sort of approach the situation. And we can sort of go, well, hey, look, that's fantastic. But the caliber that you're proposing to build is, 
is pushing twice the amount of powder that you need to, to to achieve your goal, or the other side of the coin, look, chap, what's going to inadvertently happen here is we're going to build the piece of equipment that you're requesting, and it is not going to be able to achieve your goal. So that is, that's the start of the process. Mm. And that can be difficult because, like you say, you get these people, they, they know, I mean, hey, I've only been building guns for God knows how long. They, they know more, <laughs> than, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so Dan, if I said to you, I want to be able to shoot out to a tonne, um, yep. I want to have enough energy to knock over a, a reasonable size animal. So probably let's, let's for example, say a red, although that sort of range, I'm normally after fellow. Um, mm-hmm. I want to be able to be, I, I want to be able to group well. I want to have a reasonable trigger because that's something that personally I, I find, that's the first thing Very I upgrade important. on a firearm. Yeah, yeah, I find that really important. You probably do too. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I travel a lot, particularly with the show, but the style of hunting I do, I'm not doing that in one place or another. And that's where the 30 cal seems to keep cropping up for me. I looked at 7 mil, I even looked at 260. Um, but the 30 cal seems to me to have enough grunt to do everything I want without having so much grunt that I'm blowing big holes and things, you know? Yeah. See, right there, you've, you've answered quite a few of the of the questions that, that I would propose to you. For example, you've said, um, I travel here, there, and everywhere. Right there, you've got a major concern, because if you are, and you are, you know, um, jumping on an aeroplane or something like that, and you've built some ridiculous wildcat, <laughs> yep. and then you forget your ammunition. Yeah. So that needs to be taken into consideration, too. All these crazy wildcats that are out there, we're not huge on that sort of stuff ourselves. Um, I'm not, you know, you can find a factory cartridge that's going to do the job. So if someone does yep. forget his ammunition, or for whatever reason, the, at last minute, the, the, the aeroplane decided, hey, I'm not actually comfortable, I'm going to leave that ammunition behind. You know, you need to be able to nip into a store, grab a box of Winchester and, and, hook, and hook in. You yep. can't let something like that ruin, you know, a trip that, A, you've planned for a long time, blah, blah, blah. So that's important as well. But um, you're talking a 1,000-yard shooting, you're talking multiple weather conditions, you're talking a decent-sized animal like a red stag. Oh, the, as you mentioned earlier, the 300 Winchester Magnum is uh, is a very very good cartridge for that. The other one that would be you know worth looking at would be the 7 mil rim mag. Yeah, and I looked at that, but I kept for some reason just kept harping back to the 30 cal. Eh? You've got to yeah, I mean you've got to take terminal ballistics into it as well. Um, and there's a lot of different arguments for what kills this and what does that. But uh, you know, cards on the table. The bigger the hole you put said through Beastie, the deader it's going to be. <laughs> Not a lot of science behind that one, I can tell you that for free. <laughs> so, you know, if you, and, and you've got to look at that from the respect that, okay, you put a big hole through, it's going to die better, that's good, it's got to be humane. So if we are shooting in adverse conditions, let's say I don't call my wind correctly or whatever and the shot goes a little too far forward, a little too far back, you need to, you need to do this humanely. So you need a decent-sized pill or decent-sized cartridge so that even if you do foul your shots, Slightly, which does happen. Let's face it; um, it's still gonna, it's still gonna put it down. It's still gonna put the animal down. Mm. So yeah, three hundred wind mag. That that would be a, um, a um, yeah, a very good cartridge for a thousand yard, mm. thousand yard um, hunting. Yeah. Okay. So what, let's go back. Let's talk about action just very quickly. What what action mm-hmm. would you recommend in this case? I've been looking very closely at the Remington action. Yep. Um, bit of a fan, I have to be honest. So I'm a bit biased. Mm-hmm. But where would you start? Really, um, it, it doesn't make a huge amount of difference. There's, there's a lot of things that need to be taken into consideration when you're looking at action as well. A, you, you need to look at your overall budget for the project. That's going to determine you know, the sort of level of quality you can spend. B, you need to look at the weight of the action or the weight right. that the entire rifle is going to be. If you're willing to build the lightest Alpine thing that Remington's 
you know, possibly not the lightest action. If you're if you're wanting um, to hang a slightly heavier barrel off the rifle, like if you you know if you're not looking for a really lightweight rifle, then a Remington is a stronger action. So we can look at that. Um, that we build a lot of guns on the Tika T3 action, for example, um, 300 wood mag doable as well. You know, and a lot of them are um, done with our carbon fiber wrap barrel and the carbon fiber stock. Um, so the guys that want something extremely light, then then the Tika T3 would be better. But if you're wanting, you know, that Remington sort of that, that cylindrical design and that something a bit stronger, then then the Remington's better. So there's there's a lot of questions to ask. Okay. And of course, it comes down to your preference too. Like mm. like you say, if you're a fan of a Remington, then buy a damn Remington. I'm a fra- I'm a fan of Remington actions. Before I start getting hate mail, by the way, I get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, no, they are good, and we do we. You know, at any one time, I think at the moment currently, and my weapons engineers hate me saying this, but I think we must have over 40 custom builds on the benches, broken down on the benches at the moment, and there would be a, a large percentage of them will still be um, Remington-based actions, mm. you know, Remington builds. We are still building a truckload of um, of guns on Remington actions. So it's still the dumb thing, that's for sure. So what about triggers? Um, first thing you do with the Remington is get rid of the factory trigger because holy moly and um, I've always replaced them with a Timney or, or whatever but mm-hmm. what, what do you do? What's your what's your thought on the trigger? Yeah, again <laughs> again it comes down to what the customer wants like what sign of uh, what what level of sort of trigger control he wants, what how, what weight he wants of that. Timney is good, you, you know, to, to say, we'll put a Timney in it. Because Timney, for a lot of people, Timney means, oh, it's, okay, it's going to be a good quality trigger. So they, mm. they go, yep, I'm happy with a Timney. Okay, what weight do you set it at? A lot of guys for hunting, they'll shoot one and a half, two pound triggers for the, for the long range hunting. A lot of the, you know, the guys who are really serious, they might want to go to a pound or even below a pound. So you need to look at a couple of different triggers. So for Isn't me, it getting a bit dangerous? I mean, you're talking about under a pound. That's a bee's fart, eh? Um, oh. um, yes and no. It, 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 it all comes down to your number one safety catch, which is your trigger finger. If your finger isn't touching that trigger, that thing should not go off. Mm. So, you know, your bench press shooters, yeah. they'll shoot with. Um, either quarter to half pound trigger weight, yep. you know, and some of them less. Um, and you know, it all comes down to feel. You know, me myself, I shoot with a, with a very light trigger, um, below a pound. Um, but um, yeah, you you don't load the gun and you don't go traipsing around and you don't set yourself up until you're um, until you're ready to shoot. Mm, very good points, Dan. Very mm. very good points. Okay, so the, then there's the barrel. And I'm sure you've got your own barrels that you've got, you manufacture there. Um, mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about rifling before we go too much further? What am I looking for in rifling? Well, in the barrel itself, uh, I presume you mean rifling is in the, the, the whole condition of the barrel, mm-hmm. the inside of the barrel itself. It's, it's all about quality. Quality is, is the main thing. If, you know, of course, if you're looking at the best performance, it's about the quality of the barrel. And by quality, I mean it's, it's, a, it's a series of things. A, you've got to look at the geometry of your lands. Mm. So you can go with conventional sort of shaped rifling, um, which is something that's been done since forever. Or you can look at um, rifling that has that, that's canted, which is a lot more modern, which is a better seal and um, they foul a lot less and blah, blah, blah. So you've got those, those things to look at. Then you've got to look at the groove dimension. If you're talking... Um, something that's extremely accurate, you want the groove dimension to be extremely um, close tolerance-wise on your projectile. For example, if you're shooting a 308 or, um, you know, a, a caliber, a 30 caliber, the projectile itself measures 0.3080 of an inch. 
you want the groove diameter in your barrel to be 0.3080 of an inch. So you need a, a, a good quality um, barrel from someone who really knows what they're doing to ensure that they A, they can measure this tolerance, and B, they can get that tolerance correct. Surface finish is the next thing. The surface finish needs to be extremely um, ingrained. It needs to follow the surface finish. It needs to follow the, the geometry of the rifling or the, the, the pitch and that of the, of the rifling, and, and it needs to be nice and smooth, and it needs to be bang on and consistent. So we're not talking a loose spot here and a loose spot there. It's got to be absolutely bang on the entire length of your barrel. So there's, there, is a, there is a lot that goes into a good quality barrel, and there are... Um, there's a lot that goes into a bad one as well. I do. I do want to ask you a little bit about fluted versus non-fluted. Uh, I know it's it's mm-hmm. sort of straying slightly, um, but but it does lead me on to that whole how you know obviously barrels affect accuracy, uh, yep. but then there's weight as well that kind of comes into it, and depending on what sort of hunting you're doing. Tell me a little bit. Do you prefer fluted barrels when we're talking about stainless, for example? I'm not a fan of fluted barrels. Um, in my opinion, um, a, a fluted barrel for, for the money that you pay to have it fluted and, and for the amount of weight that it removes, it's, it's certainly not worth it. It's, it's, it is, it's a cosmetic thing. It's mostly down to, to cosmetics. You, it, it, for, as far as accuracy is concerned, it's going to give you absolutely nothing. There was talk, oh, the bat's going to make your barrel stiffer, it's going to do this, it's going to remove more heat because you're increasing surface area. Hey, those things may be true, but to what degree? Tiny, tiny, tiny amount. So, yeah, it is a waste of time, especially now that you've got the carbon fibre wrapped barrels. Fluting is 100% obsolete as far as something that's going to increase performance. If you want your barrel to cool down faster, carbon wrap. If you want your barrel to be lighter, carbon wrap. If you want, your, if you want to shoot more rounds downrange, carbon wrap. You know, it's... It, it, fluting is, is effectively obsolete. Okay. Can you talk to me a bit about that then, carbon wrapping a barrel? Okay. Well, what it is that you're doing is that you're trying to get the same result of a big old fat barrel out of something that weighs less than a normal sporting weight barrel. That's what you're trying to do. Oh, and they look cool, so there's that as well. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so what the carbon fibre does, so we machine the barrels down to a specific outside sort of geometry and, and then... Um, the guys at QB Composites who we work with with our carbon fiber stuff, they they do the, the carbon wrapping for us. And what, what it does is when you press the trigger and your barrel heats up due to friction, gases, et cetera, et cetera, the carbon draws the heat away from the barrel and then dumps it out the outside of the carbon. Mm. And so w- what you're trying to achieve with carbon wrapping is that the barrel remains a nominal temperature and still, instead of holding the heat in and getting hotter and hotter and hotter every time you press a trigger. And the theory is with a heavy barrel is that the barrel will take a considerably longer period of time to heat up because there's so much more material there. Right. But yeah, so you're achieving the same result, just doing it in two different methods. And is it expensive? Um, it's certainly not something that's given away. Carbon fibre, the materials themselves are, um, are are pretty costly. You know, there is some serious um, technology that goes into that stuff, and we can talk about that a bit more in a minute. Um, and then the, the labour side, um, it, it is labour intensive, and of course, it is extremely. Um, it's an extremely unpleasant job. <laughs> um, 
you've got resins, you've got tiny little needly fibres everywhere, and unless you're sort of wearing a full bodysuit with little to nil skin exposed, you know, come the end of the day, your entire body is itchy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So it's not it's not the most pleasant of experiences, sanding it down and mucking about with it like that, yeah. So you wanted to touch a bit more on that technology side of it? Yes, yes. Now, yeah, now this, is a, this is a really good one, and, and this is something that I, I, I love to talk about and really get behind, because, you know, with your, your, your America's Cup um, and whatnot here in New Zealand, we inadvertently got, like, the world leaders in carbon fibre layers, carbon fibre scientists, carbon fibre technicians, however you want to label them. You know, New Zealand has the bees knees. We've got the best guys out there. Um, there's some amazing companies up in Auckland that, that do a lot with carbon. There's um, a company, I can't remember what their name is, but they've designed products which which are used in our carbon fibre, the nanotechnology. They've designed that. They've manufactured that, and that's a, that's, that's a New Zealand-produced thing. So as far as the technology, the carbon technology that goes into the barrels, it is absolutely world-leading and it goes to show when we look at our sales overseas, you know, we're competing with the big boys in the USA with our carbon wrap barrels. Um, these things are, are absolutely killing it. The technology is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, my hat comes off to these guys in New Zealand because we're all four New Zealanders stomping their feet and saying, we did this ourselves. You know, we, we, we like that. So we love getting behind it. It's good, yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan, I just want you to finish on a couple of points. I want you to reiterate the three Bs. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll do that. So what are the three Bs? Just again, if you didn't write them down, guys, this is the three Bs of, that Dan mentioned earlier in the interview. Yeah, now, just to go back one, one, one step further, the, the old three Bs, I can't actually take uh, a huge amount of the credit for the three Bs. I didn't um, create the, the three Bs. <laughs> no. um, it was actually told to me when I was still in the Army by... Um, None other but um, Robbie Tiffin of Gunwoods Canterbury. Gee. He taught he taught me that back when um, when I when I was uh, when I was a whippersnapper and I first met him. So there you are. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, the three B's of accuracy: barrels, bedding, and bullets. So okay. keep an eye on your bedding, look after your damn barrel, and respect your ammunition. Mm-hmm. You know, keep it clean, keep it, don't dent it up. Blah blah blah. blah oh, blah. and can I add my little rant here? Don't buy <laughs> cheap shit ammo. You've spent umpteen dollars on a firearm. And you're saving stuff all between really good ammunition that suits your firearm and really, ex- you know, and really cheap, nasty stuff that's not going to be as anywhere near as good as what what you can get. And, and look, custom load if you can as well, but or, or hand load. Um, but you see a lot of guys with very expensive firearms that are just buying the cheapest ammo off the shelf. And look, you're talking what's a, what's a deer worth to you? It's a dollar difference, mate. You know, or, or per per round. Um, I find that frustrating. Mm. Yeah, no, you, you, you did right. I mean, a lot of these guys are looking at what they can save, not looking at what it can potentially cost them. Mm, the potential cost of losing a deer or damaging their firearm because they've got steel cases or something like that, that's what needs to be taken into consideration. It's very much um, a, little bit of, a little bit of foresight when it comes to making... Um, you know, go, and, and it goes with any equipment. You know, buying the cheapest gun, buying the cheapest this, the cheapest mm. that. You know, it's, it's, it's actually really, really bad in New Zealand, and, and people need to start switching their focus more towards let's look at something that's quality. Mm, very much. Well, Dan, if people want to find out more about your services, how do they go about it? Well, I mean, we, we've got a website, harderoffengineering.co.nz. We're up on um, on, on Facebook there, which gets updated quite a lot. 
um, you know, if it's anyone that's um, listening overseas, we've got distributors in uh, New Caledonia, UK, USA, Germany, Italy, um, Australia, of course. You know, we, we, the product is, it, it is there, it is everywhere, but by all means, any queries, questions, um, make a phone call or, or jump on our website. We've got an international department as well on there, so uh, yeah, hook in. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Let's do this again in a few months' time, eh, Dan? You're, you're a absolute, just a swamp of knowledge, and I need to tap into that a little bit more, eh? Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, like I said, I've been doing it for a damn long time, but my passion for the industry, and it, 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 it never wanes. I get out of, you know, believe it. People say, how long does it take you to get to work? And I say, oh, about 15. They say, well, 15 minutes? Yeah, that's not too bad. I said, no, 15 seconds. I live on the same side as the factory. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my passion for it, it, it ain't going anywhere, believe me. Fantastic, Dan. Thank you very, very much. No problem at all. Broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics.